And so in verse 15, the beloved, the man, he responds, he says, Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes. And again, one of the things that we see that's really interesting about the compliments that he gives in regards to her appearance are really like, I want to say insignificant, but, but things that we typically wouldn't compliment, right? Things that, you know, like slight changes and, and, and small things, like really fine details, like, the, like her eyes. And what we talked about last week, you know, there's many people who they're just so focused on the sexual aspect of an appearance that they've, they've been with this person for so long and they yet don't even know their eye color, right? And here he's noticing the fine details of her and he's complimenting things that are non-sexual, right? First we see in, in verse 10, her cheeks, and now we see here her eyes. And so she responds in verse 16. She says, behold, you are handsome, my beloved. So she reciprocates what she, he said to her, right? He says, you're fair. She says, you're handsome, right? He says, you're beautiful. And she says, you're beautiful, but in, in the masculine form, right? You're handsome. She responds with that. She says, yes, pleasant. And she says, also our bed is green. The beams of our houses are cedar and our rafters of fir. And this is where we ended last week. And this is what I love about what's happening here and transpiring between these two people is that everything they're doing is out in the open. It's in the public. It's in the light. And how do I know that? <laughs> I told Whit and my wife this, and she's like, how did you get that? And I'm like, dude, there's no, like, I'm not smart. This isn't from me. This is something that someone else, that the Holy Spirit spoke to and gave them revelation to it. But you're wondering, and I'm wondering, and she was wondering, like, well, okay, the bed is green. What does that mean? Right? Like, why would she describe that? Why would she describe the beams of our houses are cedar and our rafters of fir? That makes no sense. And so one of, the, one of the things that we see when it comes to the word bed is it actually means couch. Okay? So that gives us a, a better understanding of what's about to transpire. So our couch is green, the beams of our houses are cedar, and our rafters are fir. And so when we think of this as poetry, right, this is probably not literal. Well, I guess it could be literal in a sense. But we're thinking, okay, the couch is green, like they have, you know, green fabric on their couch? No. What she's really implying is that everything that they are doing, every time that they are together, it's done outdoors, right? That's, that's the implication here, right? What's outdoors? Well, there's, there's bushes that are green, there's leaves that are green. Where they sit, you know, the grass, like that's their couch, right? It's green. Okay, well, the beams of our houses are cedar. Well, there's trees, the rafters of fir, right? It's, it's a describing what's outdoors. And so the, the sense here is that, again, their relationship is happening in the light. It's happening outdoors, right? And, and I think this is good and it's healthy because I've walked through it with my own wife when we were your guys' age or older. Okay, we were actually older. Um, we've walked through it, but I've, I also see in Scripture how, it, how important it is to uphold integrity, how important it is to have integrity. And in, sometimes integrity starts with doing things that are not done in the dark, like, like doing things in the light. Because oftentimes what the dark does is it gives us the misconception that we can get away with things. And what we fail to realize is that even though we can get away with things in regards to what people may know or see or not know and not see, is that ultimately it still affects us. Right? No matter what somebody knows or doesn't know, something that happens in the dark always will and still affect us, even if there's not a single soul that knows about it. 
right? It affects us, it hinders us, it hurts us, because that's what sin does. And for us as Christians, listen, this is completely different. There's a, there's a different call for Christians and command for Christians than there is for those who aren't. We are called to walk in the light because we are capable of walking in the light. Because what the description of those of us previous to being born again and walking with the Lord is that we were once darkness. And so there is no capability of walking in the light because we ourselves are darkness as Christ describes us. If you look at this in Ephesians chapter 5, you don't need to turn there, I'll, I'll read it. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 8 through 12, Paul says, for you were once darkness, right? Again, describing you as dark, not as in the dark. You are the darkness itself, but he says, but now you are light in the Lord, right? We've been born again, we've been transformed, now we are light in the Lord. So he says, walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but do what? Rather expose them. For it's shameful to even speak of those things which are done by them in secret. And so what we see is that their relationship is there. I mean, this principle applies to us as individuals, right? We understand that. But this principle also applies to us, you know, in, in, the, in the dating scene, recording, whatever you want to call it, the, the pursuing a relationship, in a relationship. Like, it's important that we do things in the light. And so we see this couple doing everything that they're doing. They're cultivating their love in the light. And they're not doing it. And that's not to say, listen, that's not to say that if they were in a home by themselves, if they were in a room by themselves, if, that they couldn't uphold to their integrity. You can. And sometimes you may be caught in a situation like that right, where you are, you end up by yourselves, and then there's this opportunity for you to uphold that integrity and walk in the light, even with no accountability around you, right? I, th I think that's important that we understand that that has to happen too, but the point is you don't put yourself in a position to fail because the flesh, what is it, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak, right? Like, don't, you know, therefore, who, he who thinks he can stand, take heed lest he fall, Right? Like, don't think, listen, because it is, it's hard. It's hard to do the right thing sometimes when you are infatuated, when you are in love and all the emotions are stirring and the, the things are, 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 are raving and, you know, like it, there's all these chemical reactions in our body. I get it. It can be hard. And so what you have to do is you have to position yourself in integrity and do things in the right way and in the light. And again, it's not that we can't do things the right way in private, but when there's accountability set up, when there's, you know, it, it, it helps us. It truly does. And so we are to walk in the light, right? Because we, we are children of the light. And so integrity is important. And I want to define integrity really quick because some of you are probably like, what is, how do I even define that? Well, so in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word translated integrity, it meant this. The condition of being without blemish, completeness, Perfection, sincerity, soundness, uprightness, wholeness. In the New Testament, it means honesty and adherence to a pattern of good works. So we are called to integrity. We see examples of this in the Old Testament, New Testament, and I'll, I'll share with you a few of them. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 12. He says in verses 1 through 3, he says, in the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, 
Jesus began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisee, which is hypocrisy, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. Because basically, I think what Jesus is implying here is, you know, you are held to a standard, and you can uphold integrity even in the dark, but the things that you think you can get away with in the dark will come to the light, right? And ultimately, what we understand is that we cannot hide these things from Christ, who is the ultimate judge, right? But I think this is important, because right after saying this, this is what Jesus talks about and what he says in verses 4 and 5. And I don't think this is a coincidence in, in what he's talking about, the hypocrisy with the, with the um, Pharisees. He says in verse 4, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him, speaking of God, who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Don't you think there's, that's not a coincidence? That if, if we have a, I think in the midst of all this, right, in the pursuit of a relationship or if we're single and we're caught, you know, in a position where we can uphold our integrity and do the right thing even with no one watching, it's a matter of, of if we have a reverence for God, right? It's not a matter of, you know, how well our upbringing was and what our parents instilled in us. I'm sure that has a little bit of, to do with it, but ultimately it has to do with do I revere God? Do I have a reverence for him? Do I understand the power and justice that he has? But again, ultimately, I understand too the love that he has for me. And his love will lead me to do what is right. And so I want to I respect that. I want to honor that. And so it's a matter of that coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? Because again, if you try to do things in your own mind, in your own flesh, you know, when push comes to shove, and you're caught in a situation where you have to do the right thing, but your, your flesh is, you know, it's strong, and it's fighting against the Spirit, and you're not relying on the Spirit, you know, your own wisdom and your own understanding is not going to get you very far, and you're going to fall. But thankfully, we have a God who picks us back up. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 3, it says, The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. And listen, God's word is like, it's always spot on. It's never wrong. And so in Proverbs, when it gives us these, you know, little bits of advice, it, it's telling us something that will always come to fruition if you follow what it says, right? The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. And I know in the time that we live in, guys, it can be really hard to live with integrity. It can be really hard to do the right thing. It can be really hard. But that doesn't give us an excuse to not do the right thing. And again, I mean, we have this battle with culture. We have the battle with people surrounding us. We have the battle, again, the, the, the biggest battle that we have is our own sin nature, right, is our own selves. But Peter gives us this encouragement in First Peter chapter 3. I'll read it to you. Starting in verse 13, Peter says, And who is he will, who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, 
having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Guys, there, there's, there's consequences to, to things that we do that are bad, and there's blessings to things that we do that are good. I mean, that's, that's a promise that God gives us. Even in the face of adversity, even in the face of scoffers, even in the face of, you know, you think that you're the only one who's doing the right thing. Dude, and that might even happen in the midst of a, a, a group of friends that you think are Christians or that may be Christians. You know, and, and you have to hold to the integrity and the standard that you know that God has given you, regardless of what's happening around you. Again, this is an example of following Jesus because Jesus, he was that. He was the example of integrity. He is integrity, right? He lived in perfection. And again, we do this by the power that he provides us, right? He, he graciously supplies the power that we need to get through this. And one of the things I encourage you guys with last week was oftentimes we have the wrong mentality of um, how we see certain things in, in the light of things. Like, we, we try to think of, like, how far we can go without, like, God getting mad or, you know, what can I do where, you know, I won't get in trouble? Like, how long can it be? You know, whatever, right? It's, it's always that mentality of, like, how much can I get away with until it's actually bad or wrong? And I think, I think that's the wrong mentality to look at because what that does, especially with integrity, is it, it compromises it. It really compromises our morality. It compromises our integrity. That when I start to think that way, rather than how can I honor God, right? How can I please God? Like, what, what would make him happy, right? And again, it's not a matter of like God's up there, you know, ready to just completely destroy us in, when we fail, right? So we're like, we're living on, on edge trying to please God. No, but it's a matter of, okay, if I've been born again, I know I have a God that loves me. And I love him back. And because of that love, I want to do what's right. I want to please him. Right? It's, it's, it's not done out of fear, out of cowering, but it's done out of fear, out of respect and honor. One of the examples that we get in the Old Testament is Abimelech. I don't know if you guys remember this story with Abraham and Sarah. You guys remember who Abraham and Sarah were? What was their relationship between each other? Yes. No. Husband and wife, yes, they were husband and wife, thank you. In Genesis chapter 20, we get the story of Abraham who uh, tried to take things in his own hands and tried to think, you know, hey, this is a pretty good plan, um, but oftentimes our own plans are pretty stupid, and they turn out stupid, and then it backfires, and then we get in trouble, and then we got to go back and clean it up, and thankfully God is gracious and it works out, but man, we could have avoided the whole thing if we just trusted in God and, and did the right thing, right? If we walked with integrity, if Abraham walked with integrity, he would have saved himself from a whole lot of hassle. And so in Genesis chapter 20, I'll read it to you. In verses 1 through 6, we get a semi-funny story, um, but a good example of integrity, but not from Abraham, who is the father of faith, right? Like he's, he's, in the, he's in Hebrews chapter 11. So Abraham, he journeys from there to the south, and he dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. And Abraham said of, his, of Sarah, his wife, he said, this is my sister. She is my sister. Now listen, guys, don't ever say that about your wife to someone else, okay? Always say, this is my wife. 
right? I love it when guys say, yeah, this is my first wife. <laughs> I'm like, you're so dumb. Um, she is my sister. And so Abimelech, like this is who he's telling. He's telling Abimelech. Abimelech is the king of Gerar. He sent and he took Sarah, right? So he's thinking, okay, well, they're brother and sister, so she must be single, right? Because if, if, if she wasn't single, her husband would be with her. But God came to Abimelech in a, day, in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are, you are a dead man <laughs> because of the woman whom you've taken, for she is a man's wife. Like, like uh, right there, let's just stop right there. Like, do you see how important it is to God, the union and the covenant it is between a man and a woman? That it stays between that man and that woman. Do we understand this? Right? That is God's standards. I don't care what the world says. Their standard's stupid because it lines up with my own fleshly standards, and I know how stupid that is. God's standard is perfect. It is right. And he says, he comes and he says, you are a dead man. Now, obviously, God is like, he's, he's doing something here. He's not like naive to the, to the idea that, okay, Abimelech had no idea. You get what I'm saying? So in verse 4, Abimelech had not come near her, okay? So like there, nothing had happened. And he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did Abraham not say to me, she is my sister? And she, even her, she herself said, he is my brother. And it says, in the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have done this. He says, I have done the right thing. And you think the Lord honors that? Yeah, that's what he's called us to do. And so God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. And here's a man who shouldn't be doing this, but is. And then here's a man who should be walking with integrity, but isn't. And so we get this example here of a man who walks with integrity. God obviously spares him, and there's consequences for Abraham because he did, the, he did something that was not right, right. He didn't do the right thing in this situation. I mean, so again, God says, you did this in the integrity of your heart. David does this too. We see this in Psalm 101, verse 2, where he purposed to walk within his house in the integrity of his heart. Right, that, that whatever comes to pass, he would do the right thing. And he recognized that integrity would, would preserve him. And Solomon, he describes more and more Proverbs, the benefits of integrity. You guys can go look at those your own time. Proverbs 2, 7, 10, 9, 11, 3, 19, 1, 27, and 28, 6. But the integrity is a blessing to those who abide by it. And so, in verse 1, chapter 2. <laughs> The lady, she says, I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. So after this back and forth, and we're going to continue with this back and forth, this back and forth of Solomon just reassuring her that she is beautiful, that he loves her, that he, he loves you know, her outward appearance, but her character, even her own integrity, right? that he, she, he has treated her so well, and she's reassured by this. Right, to the point where she says of her own self that she is the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. Like she felt so special because of him. Right? That she thinks of herself as the most precious of all the precious. Right? She had she felt confident, she felt beautiful, right? She was no longer worrying, I think, like she was in verses five and six. 
right, where, where there was a little bit of self-doubt, but, but through the, the reassuring and the communication that Solomon gave, and it was good communication, right, that there was this reassurance to her that she was the lily of the valleys. And then Solomon doesn't even let her finish. I, I don't know if he lets her finish or not, but he kind of interjects here and just like, she says, I'm, I'm the lily of the lilies. And he's like, no, we didn't say that. But he says in verse two, he says, no, you're like a lily among thorns. And you're thinking, Solomon, that, you kind of like brought that down a level. It doesn't sound as good as the lily amongst the lilies. But here's the idea, and I love this. He says, like a lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. Basically what he's implying here is that she's saying that she's a lily amongst the lilies, right? But he's saying you're a lily amongst the thorns. She's saying, I, I, I'm beautiful out of all those who are beautiful. I'm the, I'm the most beautiful. That's how she feels. And he's saying, your beauty is, is so beautiful that all the others, they're not like lilies to me, but they're like thorns. Right? That you are, you are so beautiful, I don't, I don't even notice really anyone else. He's elevating her. He's saying, that again, that she's a lily amongst the thorns, that her beauty compared to all other women is nothing, or is, is everything, is greater, right? It far surpasses them. Again, to the extent that he hardly notices the other woman, he's so enraptured with this one woman, believing that he has the best and most beautiful amongst them all, right? I mean, what, what amazing communication this man has. <laughs> it's really, really amazing. And so what I really think that's happening here is that he's implying, or he's saying that he is a one-woman man, right? That you are enough for me that no one else matters, right? I, 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 don't, I don't see any others. And I, I think that is a hard thing for the world to understand and to fathom. It really is. Because the world, I mean, between the music we listen to, the movies that we see, the TV shows that we watch, the celebrities that we adore, it is all about jumping from one person to the next. And, and we're even getting weird in the world that we live in which is not a new thing, but I think it's becoming more, I guess, popular, just like everything else that we see, is that it's no longer about jumping from one person to another one person, but it's about having multiple people at one time. And Christ calls us to one person, and the covenant that he has given us, the intention was for life, right? For life. It wasn't like, okay, just have one person at a time, and then when you're done with that person, go to another person. That's not the intent that God had. The intent was for life. And so we see this intention that, that, that Solomon makes that, okay, you are the one woman for me. And I think he can say this, and it's true, because that is how God has designed us. And that's the best way for us to maintain a relationship, is through monogamy, is through one person. Right? All throughout Scripture, we see that between one man, between one woman, to, you know, husbands, love your wife, Wives, submit to your own husband. Like it, it, every instance that we see of, it's always between one woman and one wife, and God had intended it to be forever. And again, the relationship that we see between Christ and the church, I mean, that, that's also the intention that that will last forever, right? And there's the similarities that we get between Christ and the church and between man and woman. And so again, many people have a hard time with this. I think obviously there's the misconception that we have, but also too, like it, it goes against our very nature, our fleshly nature, right? I think that's like why the world has a hard time of being committed to one person because the nature of our flesh is to 
appease that flesh, and that flesh can never be appeased, so there's always wanting more and more and more, or different and more, and try this, dabble in that, go over here, right? Ultimately never being satisfied. And so we struggle with, you know, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. That's what happens when we're in our flesh. But when we walk uprightly in the Lord, what we find out is our relationship with one person, it can constantly grow, right? The beginning is, is not the best part. Like, it constantly gets better. Like, the best part is the part that you're always in, right? It's not like, okay, you know, you know at the very beginning of a relationship, it should be better than what it was, you know, 50 years later. Like, 50 years later, you're thinking, man, you're going to get bored of each other. You know, you've, it's, what, what else do you have to talk about? You guys, we get older, we get fatter, we get slower, we get smellier, wrinklier. Uh, you guys get the point, right? But what happens is if, if you do things the way that God has designed them, that day by day, year by year, I believe our love can grow for one another, right? That, again, when we walk uprightly in the Lord, our relationship with one person can constantly grow. Your appreciation grows, your concern grows, your compassion grows, your care grows, your attraction grows. All these things continue to grow over and over and over along with the love that you have for that other person, right? Where, where you can interject just like Solomon and say, like, you are the best of them all, that I don't even notice any others, right? That, that it's the best not just at the beginning of the relationship, but also in the middle and to the end. It's the same thing with Christ, because again, I want to I look at the similarities with this. When we first come to Christ, it's an amazing experience, right? We, we, we go through the experience and the love of God's grace and love, but it keeps getting better, right? Like the more we, we grow with God, the more we get to know him, we constantly, I mean, I guess for me, I'm sure for you too, like you're constantly amazed at how faithful he is, how compassionate he is, how loving he is, that I know more about those things in his character than I did the day before, and I'm constantly amazed by that, right? Like he's, I want to say he's a different God, but to me, like he's, my understanding of him, my love for him grows every day because of the revelation that I see every day or every week or every year. And I think the same thing goes with a relationship with another person. Is like, okay, like when we're growing in the Lord, we, we grow together. And with God, we understand, okay, like I have a relationship with God. That's one God, right? Do we ever complain like, man, I wish there was like, I wish I could try another God, you know, like, or I wish I like multiple gods, like that would be cool. You know, no, like, we, we never complain about that. We never think that that's not enough. We know that God is enough, right? We know. We don't get sick and bored of Christ, right? No, but we grow in our understanding, our appreciation. His beauty grows. It really does. And I think a big thing that shouldn't be overlooked is his attention to her, right, and her alone. His soul attention, his focus, his attraction, I think it needs to be focused, you know, when you guys are married, it should be focused upon your spouse and your spouse alone and not divided amongst other men or women, depending on your gender. Because what happens is once that attention, when it starts to look at other lilies, per se, is there starts to become a separation from the person that God has joined you with because God has said, <laughs> you, you, the two become one flesh. Right? And so when, when you start to give into that 
how do I say it? When you start to dabble in looking somewhere else or looking to someone else, there's this separation. And the separation, it can be physical, it can be mental, emotional, spiritual. And I truly believe that's why God says, you know, even for himself, that he says, you shall have no other gods before me, right? None at all. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. And like we've talked about, that means to his face. Like it's, it's not a matter of, okay, I put God here and then I've got some other gods way down here, right? What he's saying is like, there should be none at all because God is a jealous God. He knows what's best for us. And so when it comes to our relationship with the opposite sex, our spouse, it should be the same way, right? That there, there is no other in whatever form that looks like. I, I think that can go a bunch of different ways, but take it as you will. In verse 3, the Shulamite responds. She says this. She says, Like an apple tree among the trees of the woods, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down in his shade with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. And what I love about this is that they go back and forth complimenting each other. So she starts off like, she's like, I'm a lily. And then he's like, no, you're not just a lily. Like, you're a lily among thorns. Like, you're the best lilies. And she's like, well, you're beautiful like an apple tree. Like, this constant, like, one-upping each other. You know, like, I think, gosh, you know, the beginning of, like, a, a, a relationship where you're just, like, sometimes it could be, like, if you, if you listen from the outside, you can be, like, grossed out. Like, this is, <laughs> this is too much. You guys calm down a little bit. Um, so they go back and forth, complimenting each other, going back and forth and so on. And so here she responds with, okay, well, you're like an apple tree, right? Okay, well, what, what does that mean? Right, I, th- I think what we find out is like apple trees were, were pretty rare. Like you, you really wouldn't find them in Israel, to be honest. And so wh- I think what that implies is like, okay, well, this, she sees this man as rare, like that, that he's a rare find. You know, because honestly, there's, there's, not many, there's not many men out there that meet the description, the qualification that you would find in a spouse, ladies, and vice versa, men, right? Like, like just because they're the opposite gender doesn't mean that, okay, they qualify to be your spouse. No, there's some things that, that need to be met, some standards and qualifications. And she's like, well, you're, you know, you're so rare. Not many guys are like you, right? And I, I believe that God has a plan for your life. And, and he, at one point in your life, I'm not saying it's going to happen when you're 18, 19, 20. It may happen when you're 30. It may happen when you're 40. I don't know. But God has a plan but he has a person for you. And you are also a, a, a spouse to someone else that God has a plan for. And so again, the apple tree is, wasn't common in Israel. And so she's saying, you know, Solomon, you're, you're not common either in that sense, that you're not like every other man. But then she also says here that she delights in his shade, right? And that his, his fruit was sweet to her taste. I think she really enjoyed, you know, the, the fruits of their friendship and their relationship. And again, we get this understanding that she finds this refreshment and this security within him, right? And ultimately, we understand that we don't find that complete, ultimate rest and security within another person, okay? Like, I am not God to my wife. Do we understand this? Nor is she God to me. So I don't find my complete satisfaction. I don't find my complete rest. I don't find my complete security in her and her vice versa, right? It's ultimately found in God, but God can use your spouse to lead you to that and to provide that. And so she's, doing, she's saying this, you know, like, I sat down in the shade with, with great delight. So metaphorically, you know, in the shade of his tree and, and tasting of the fruit, you know, I think it was, she says it's sweet, it's delightful. 
And again, she's finding, she's feeling safe, she's feeling cared for, she's feeling protected, and it's all because of the love that he has for her. In verse 4, running out, a couple more minutes. In verse 4, it says, He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. And so she says to the daughters of Jerusalem here, she expresses that like a banner, right? A banner that's, you know, I don't have a banner in here, but you guys get the point of a banner. Like it's, it's pretty expressive, right? To the point where anybody who's walking by or anyone who sees it, or it should be where anyone can see it, it's really like a public proclamation, right? It's pretty clear that the man, that he delights in the woman and vice versa, but mainly what she's saying here is that he delights in me, and it's a public matter, right? And it's not to the point where it's like gross to see, <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about, but a point where he makes it a point that she is loved, and, it, and people can see that she is loved by him, that everyone can see, again, how much she loves her. And I think, too, you know, sometimes men have a hard time with that. You know, there's times where I can have a hard time with that, where I, I openly express my love, you know, with people watching. And it's not to say that you should be one way, you know, two different ways, you know, publicly or not in public. But the point is that she understands and she knows and she feels secure that even in the midst of the public eye or people watching, that he is showing her true and right love. And people are noticing. And so there was a question that came up in one of the commentaries that I read, and it said, if, if you and your spouse found yourself in a room of strangers, could they tell that you were married? You know, and I think for some spouses, that the answer would probably be no. And for some, obviously, it would be, be yes. And so could somebody tell that you two were married? You know, obviously, with the example of Abraham and Sarah, they outright lied, right? But, but for us, you know, like, you go into a restaurant, you know, how, how, are, how are you treating one another? And how are you, I think, obviously, it's pretty easy to see if somebody's a couple, because they're probably on a date. But can they see the love that you have for the other person? I think that's, more, that's a better question than can they tell if you're married, <laughs> right? Because I think we can see that. I have a story for you. There was a priest and a nun. You know where this is going. <laughs> they were lost in a snowstorm. Go with me. This is like, this is just a joke, so this is not a true story. After a while, they came upon a small cabin, and being exhausted, they prepared to go to sleep. You guys know that priests and nuns can't get married. Well, they don't get married. Um, there was a stack of blankets and a sleeping bag on the floor, but only one bed. So being a gentleman, the priest said, you know, sister, you sleep on the bed. I'll sleep on the floor in the sleeping bag. And just as he got zipped up in the bag and was beginning to fall asleep, the nun said, Father, I'm cold. So he unzipped the sleeping bag, got up, and he got the blanket, and he put it on her. And once again, he got into the sleeping bag, zipped it up, and started to drift off to sleep when the nun once again said, Father, I'm still very cold. He unzipped the bag got up again, put another blanket on her, and got into the sleeping bag once again. And just as his eyes closed, she said, Father, I'm so cold. And this time, he remained there, and he said, Sister, I have an idea. We're out here in the wilderness where no one will ever know what happened. Let's pretend we're married. So the nun said, okay, that's fine by me. So the priest yelled out, get up and get your own blanket. It is messed up, right? And I think, again, oftentimes we have this misconception that, you know, the, the older we get, the further we get in, you know, like, the ruder we get, the meaner we get. And that can happen, in a sense, but ultimately that's not what God has designed. But when we walk in the Lord, 
And sometimes we just need to be corrected because we mess up, right? But when we walk in the Lord, we should, <laughs> we should constantly be loving our spouse, and it should be noticeable. Um, it should be noticeable first and foremost between the two and then by others who can see from the outside. So we'll stop there tonight.